that was one of the big things that I took away and wanted to carry forward was to really live my life to the fullest, to the best capacity possible. And whether that's just me having a good day or me putting a smile on someone's face or me doing something for a world, like painting up a piece of garbage on the side of the street, just doing something to really enjoy my life and have fun and make the most of it too, because life can be gone fast. Hey, I'm Harrison. When was the last time you had a deep, meaningful conversation with somebody? If it's been a while, don't worry, you're in the right place. This podcast is designed to open your mind to new perspectives and topics in the realms of health, personal growth, and well, life. Welcome to the Let's Talk About Life podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Let's Talk About Life podcast. My name is Harrison King, and I'm so grateful for you being here today and just to be able to share this conversation with you. This is a phenomenal episode. Thank you for being here. If you're a new listener, I want to say welcome. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. We are always happy to have new people in the community here. It's a big, giant, big old family. Just again, I want to thank you for listening because this is an incredible episode. We are chatting with Caleb Dahlgren today. This episode kind of hits close to home because I'm from, uh, for all you international listeners, I'm from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. And in 2018, on April 6th, there was a team, a junior hockey team, the Humboldt Broncos. Humboldt is uh, near Saskatoon here. And, and the team was on their way to a place called Nipawin. And they were in their bus. It was playoff season. And unfortunately, their bus was hit by a semi and there was a horrific crash. And it took the lives of 16 members of the Broncos family. And there were 13 survivors and Caleb, who we are chatting with today, was one of them. He is um, a true fighter. <laughs> he really is. And he's, he's a phenomenal person. He's such a strong individual. Uh, he's uh, the former assistant captain of the Broncos. He truly just lives his life to honor those that he lost in that accident. Uh, and if you haven't heard of this accident before, um, it it shook all of Canada. People were rallying together in all shapes, ways, just anything you could think possible to try to support just Saskatchewan and Humboldt and, and the families affected. It uh, it was a tough time for all of Canada. Of course, the people involved as well and really brought us all together. It's a tough it's a tough thing to share and talk about and, and Caleb has, has done a lot of it. So if you want to, you know, hear him talking about the crash specifically or more information on it. You can find that online. But we're going to try to talk a little bit about other things because you don't want to be just defined by the one experience in your life, you know, anybody. And he's done a lot of great things since then. We are now three years after the crash and he just released a book. Uh, it's called Crossroads here. I've got it. And uh, it's my story of tragedy and resilience as a humble Bronco. And it is phenomenal. I've read it. And he is just Caleb's perspective about life and what he's gone through and the struggles he's faced. And he's just trying to help others uh, by sharing through this book. So make sure you pick it up. Crossroads. You can grab it on his website, which is calebdahlgren.com. It's just top of the line. It was number one in Canada um, the week it came out. And uh, very famous hockey player Wayne Gretzky. Everybody knows him. He says, Crossroads will change your life for the better. So if Wayne Gretzky says it's great... It's probably pretty great. So you definitely want to pick this up, Crossroads. And again, I'm just so grateful to be able to chat with Caleb and share this conversation with you. So let's dive right in to my chat with Caleb Dahlgren. Uh, Caleb, thanks so much for hopping on the call here. I'm excited about this chat and it's nice to chat with somebody from home here, hey? 
<laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I'm excited too. This is an awesome opportunity. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. Look forward to it. No, you too. You've got, first of all, I don't think we can start this without mentioning your book congratulations on the book you've you were what was it number one in canada i think you you made it in the first week and and i am like i said i've almost done it and it's phenomenal uh, how, how are you feeling about the book i guess before we get into it <laughs> <laughs> well thank you yeah no it's crazy just how everything took off it wasn't expecting this whatsoever yeah it, it has been number one for i guess this month now which is just nuts man <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy i was not expecting that at all and i really did just to help others and I've been getting lots of feedback from people saying how amazing it has and how it has truly impacted their life and connected with them and taught them some lessons that they never thought of or made them think about some situations where they could have been better or maybe where they can improve too. And so that was, yeah, it was it's unbelievable. And then also the, some of the proceeds go to stars too, which I think is amazing and they've saved lives every day. And uh, to create some awareness for that is something special. But yeah, it's a little bit it's crazy right now. And I'm kind of happy it's during COVID, not going to lie. Uh, just because um, I, I know if I was out in the public, I'd feel a little bit more weird being out in the public about it. And people are like, oh my God, like, can you sign my book? It's like, that's cool and stuff, but it's not really who I am. Like, I'm not that kind of guy to be like, hey, I'm going to sign your book for you. It's just like... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of glad about COVID, but I still would love the atmosphere of connecting with people and connect, like having that relationship. So I've been trying to really be active on social media for that reason. And so I can connect with people. So now I'm done finals in school. I'll be back on that a little bit more and responding to everybody who's reached out and thanking them for their support. For sure. And, and, and it's like what you said about it's not about being a quote unquote celebrity. It's about the book and what it means and, and what you're trying to share, which is why I want to have you on here. So again, thanks so much. For anybody, because I, I, I can't do it justice, do you mind summarizing the experience, the crash, if you're comfortable with that, just to let people in, if nobody knows about this, because this is kind of a, we have listeners from all over the world, let them know and then we can slowly touch on that and then chat about some stuff moving forward from that situation. Sounds great. Yeah, no, sorry about the dog in the background too. I have <laughs> That's a little pup named Murphy and uh, he loves to chime in on these calls. That's his way he's talking, I guess. But uh, for me, I'd say to summarize it all, we were down three to one in our series against Nippon Hawks in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League playoffs. I played for the Humboldt Broncos at the time. Our team was super, super close knit. We had an amazing group. And we were a really good hockey team too. It could have been three to one for us in the series. To be honest, we lost two games in overtime that we had a lead in. So it could have been reversed three to one for us. Anyways, we we're on our way to Nippowin for game five in the playoffs. And we were on our bus and our bus collided with a semi and it took away 16 people who I consider to be family and left 13 survivors. And I was one of the 13 survivors on the team. After that, we all recovered and Kind of that was I'd say a brief synopsis of it uh, for those who don't know, and that was the situation. And so uh, it was global; it was worldwide. I met a person from Iraq who wanted to meet a humble Bronco, so I understand the magnitude of it. I didn't while I was in the hospital, but that was one of the big telltale signs while I was in the hospital how big it was. And so yeah, it's been all over the news, been all over the world, and yeah, it's. Yes, that's how we. That's how I'm here today. Yes. Yeah, and it's again. I mentioned this before. You know, you're not, and you've you've said this. You're not def defined by that experience or any specific experience in general. Which is why I'd like to really get into. If you're comfortable, you've talked in your book a lot about loss, 
and and dealing with loss and and even you know your your trainer who passed away when you were younger and and now you know all your brothers and sisters that you lost uh, the crash as someone who's gone through that obviously nobody's ever an expert on that kind of thing but as somebody's gone through it and unfortunately had to deal with it what would you share what is what is the message and and your experience of of trying to not just deal with it and move forward but on a daily basis right continue to live with that how do you get through that yeah i really think there's quite a few things that i've had in my life that have challenged me mentally already from a young age onwards so i feel like i've built up some of that resilience from a young age but one of the things i really took away from chad was just and even my teammate who i lost that same year too was just how fast life can go and be gone and for me that was one of the big things that i took away and wanted to carry forward was to really live my life to the fullest, to the best capacity possible. And whether that's just me having a good day or me putting a smile on someone's face or me doing something for our world, like painting up a piece of garbage on the side of the street, just doing something to really enjoy my life and have fun and make the most of it too, because life can be gone fast. And so then kind of leading up to my dad almost passing away too, that was another kind of reminder just how quick that life can go. And the seconds on earth aren't guaranteed. So I think moving after the crash, I had the ability to really take that perspective in and just be grateful to still be here, to have the opportunity to still live my life to the fullest. And now for even more of a reason for the 16 that aren't here too. But then there's also that aspect of gratitude too, where I was grateful to even know those people. And there's 8 billion people in our world. And the fact that I knew those 16 and had a relationship with them is something special in itself. And so to take away... A, like a special moment. And that's kind of why it's chapter 16. I want to say how I want to take away something from them. And it's because I think that we take away something from everybody we come in contact with. And for me, those people were family in my eyes. And I want to definitely take something away from them. I think that was part of another piece that helped me was the gratitude aspect. Then lastly, just focus on things I can control and can't control. Um, I couldn't control a bus. I couldn't control who survived, who didn't, can't control a semi driver. I couldn't control a semi. I couldn't control lots of stuff, honestly, my injuries, where I was sitting, anything in the aftermath. The only thing I could control was really how I wanted to react to it mentally and emotionally and physically and how I wanted to come back from that and how I want to live my life honoring the 16 who aren't here and honoring those involved in the crash too. So I think there's a multifaceted approach to this for sure. The control of the controls were really big. And asking the questions of why when you're never going to get an answer was something that I learned to never ask at a young age because sometimes there are no answers. I had to accept that. And I think the hard part is acceptance of it, for many people at least, is acceptance of it and accepting that you can't control it or can't change it and that they have to accept it even though it's hard and they still don't want to accept it, but you have to accept it and find the way to live in their honor. Yeah, and you talked a lot about gratitude, even here and especially in the book, which is a hard thing to do in that situation. But in, I want to take this further just to everyday life. You know, being grateful for, first of all, you're alive, regardless of what's happened to you. And how do you suggest, like, what are ways that you've been trying to incorporate that into your life? Obviously, you've had an experience that has catapulted you into thinking that way. But for just other people, you know, trying to live great, being gracious and, and and grateful for being here. What are some things, I don't know if I say techniques, but just ways that, that you would suggest 
trying to how we can incorporate gratitude into our everyday lives yeah i think there's quite a few ways actually when i wake up i think of three things i'm grateful for every day and that's kind of been a staple in my life one of the things that i was i was for example the three things i was grateful for today was the opportunity to be here on earth and to the other one was that roof over my head and that I was going to be golfing golfing this afternoon. So that's why I'm wearing my golf tee. Yeah, I got a tee time after this. So, uh, but I, that's, those are like my three things I was grateful for today. And I'm honestly grateful for so many more other things to support my life. I could honestly go on and on. And I think that was finding the positives in that situation was helped me be more grateful too. So like, I was grateful for the fact that I was alive. <laughs> I was, oh, there's Murphy, grateful for the fact that I was alive. I was grateful for the fact that uh, I had an opportunity to still make the most of my life. I was even grateful for the chance of meeting those people. So there's so many other aspects on it, top of it. But yeah, I say techniques, three things. If you either write them down, I write them in my phone notes. Some people like to write them down on paper and reflect on it later on. But uh, three things in the morning when you wake up, write that you're grateful for, or even at night before you go to bed that you're grateful for. Or even one thing in the day that you were really proud about for yourself. Um, those are two really big things, I think, and it builds self-confidence, but also builds grounding, grounds you as a person too. Another one that I like to do is headspace. It's more of a mindful meditation practice. I've been into that after the crash. That was one of the things I really did to help me heal. And I really took a huge approach. It was completely different, but the head the headspace was really really unique. I've never was into mindfulness or anything like that. And it really helped calm me and really helped, I guess, keep me in a good headspace for as, as life comes. But like, seriously, the name suits itself. It keeps you not too high, but not too low. And I really liked that. Yeah. And, and that actually leads me to talking about, you did have some, you know, especially right after physical damage to your body, obviously, and you had to go through physiotherapy and and that, and that kind of thing. And obviously that's challenging in itself, but I, I'm, I'm curious about how obviously you've used meditation, mindfulness, whatever, but keeping your, keeping your head on kind of straight, feeling okay in your brain when you can't control, like you said, you can't control what's happened to your body, right? You can't control that you're having to learn how to, how to walk and do these things again. How do you keep your mind out of the negative thing? Cause it's so easy just to go, life sucks. You know, this is horrible focusing on those bad things how did you keep trying to look for obviously i'm assuming it's not it was not always like that but uh, you know how'd you get through that yeah for me i was focusing on the small wins and so my one day the win was that i was alive then the next day the win was that i was moving a bit then the next day the win was that i was able to get out of bed and walk and then the next win was i was able to go to physio so it was just slowly building up those little wins and focusing on those wins. And I think as a hockey player, we have it in ourselves more so than just a person who maybe doesn't play sports to know what it's like to be faced physically with injuries or challenges because in hockey, you get injured all the time. In sports, you get injured all the time too. And so that was one of the things I think really helped all of us recover in that aspect was that we have all dealt with injuries in the past and we've all had to learn how to come back stronger than we were before. And I think it was for me definitely winning the day. And if winning the day was me having the support and me breathing, then that was winning the day. And then the next day, find that little positive, like, Oh, I got out of bed. That's great. So that's another win. And then 
up to the point where I was able to do well in tests and able to walk, function, skate, and uh, keep performing at my best, I guess. And I think the internal drive was that I really wanted to heal and come back stronger from this. And not just like for myself, but for the 16 who weren't here too. So I think that was like one of the burning desires was to use it as motivation to be as good as I can for myself, but also for the 16 who aren't here. Yeah. And, and the small wins you're talking about, I think that can be applied to anybody, you know, in anything, any situation you said, you know, you've dealt with a lot of physical injuries in hockey and sports, but even, even not, we get, you know, heartbreak and, and emotional injuries and just, I'm saying everyday people that maybe aren't, you know, playing sports at a high level or at all, you can still take that approach you know, the whole, the, the, the little wins, because it's daunting when you're just focusing on the whole thing. Were there any points where you did take a step back and focus on that and kind of get obviously like down and out? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's hard to, especially well in the hospital and having doctors tell you that you shouldn't be able to walk, talk, remember your name, but you're fortunate enough to do that. And if you hit your head, you may never, ever be able to walk, talk, remember your name so that was definitely like something scary that they just drop on you and you're like okay this is good to know i guess but probably not something i want to hear right now a lot of pressure too right yeah oh yeah and you still want to like do the best to your ability and still want to recover but there's a big picture it was like oh that's, that's a little daunting and then even when you're doing the testing you're doing really well in testing so i did like extremely well on these tests and i broke a record and they're like this is insane you shouldn't be doing this I said, okay, well, I am doing this. So what does that mean? And they're like, I, I don't know. They, then they just called me a miracle. And so it's weird to categorize yourself as a miracle too. So that kind of tell, like maybe kind of take a step back too and be like, really, am I a miracle or is this the wrong scan? Like, are you sure? Is this right? And then I guess another step back was not being able to attend like the funerals or able to really grieve the right way that people normally grieve. I had to do it through social media and old videos and photos, which is fine. And I enjoyed that too, but it was just something different. And then also, I guess, survivor's guilt too at the start was another one where you're like, maybe like, how am I still here? And the person beside me isn't like, how does that make sense? Or even the person behind me, how, like, why, why does that even make sense? So trying to not focus on those why questions I kind of just be so ingrained and just getting better one day at a time and just working on that 1% every day to get a little bit better, a little bit better. And even like you said, with heartbreak, I went through a heartbreak too. And so I know exactly what you mean by that. And you're right. It's just getting that 1% better every day. And that's what I focused on and learning more about myself and taking away stuff from that situation that I can learn too. I think in every situation we can learn from something in life. And that was some good stuff that I was able to take away. It was just learning about myself more and learning about what I want in a person and partner for the rest of my life. Yeah. Looking at every opportunity. I've talked about this many times on here, that looking at any opportunity is a learning opportunity, which makes it less scary to do something new because you know you're going to learn something from it, right? Uh, you mentioned something which is really interesting to me. It's a little bit of a side like side note, but you said the doctor said countless times and in, in, in the book I read it and I was like, well, oh, that you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. How are you doing this? You know, you're a miracle, whatever. I'm curious your thoughts because I talk a lot about self-talk and manifestation and that kind of thing. When you're being told 
regularly. You shouldn't be doing this. How did this happen? Like some, like what's up? Did that, what kind of toll did that take on you? And also I'm curious what your thoughts are on if they were to tell you, tell you like approach it the other way and go, this is awesome. Like you are, you're doing this and, and it's not normal, but you're doing it and you were great instead of it. it Cause it was kind of a negative thing, right? Like, how are you, how are you doing this? How, instead of a, like kind of praising you, do you think that kind of switch, if they would have approached it in, in the sense that, you know, uh, this is, this is great. You are where you're supposed to be, that kind of thing that would have helped you or, or changed kind of the outcome of your mental state or anything like that. Yeah. I think like you said, that was my mental state though, was if I'm doing this great, then that's awesome. So I shouldn't be sad or mad about this. I should be pumped. And I was, I was super excited that I was able to break the records and to defy the odds and to be different than what they normally should be or categorized as. So I was really excited about that. And my parents were really excited about that too. And so I think that was one of the helping factors was that, yeah, like even went to a psychologist and he was like, Hey, if you go to university, I think you should take one course and stay in Saskatoon. So if you go to Toronto, I think you're going to fail out. Um, you're not going to have a healthy lifestyle. You're not going to do well. You're not going to thrive. And I don't want that for you. And I, I was like, huh, not, Hey, you passed all these tests. You've done amazing. You proved yourself this whole summer. You've worked your butt off all summer mentally to actually be able to perform academically at the university level, you should try it out. It was a complete offset. So I thought, interesting, I'm going to try proving you wrong, but then prove the people who believe in me right. And I think it's that other aspect of, I love the idea of proving people wrong. So I've had to my entire life with diabetes. I've had to coaches who've been like, oh, he has diabetes, or hockey is a really high-performance sport, like will your diabetes impact you? So I've already had that in my life growing up. So this was just another kind of thing to add on to it. And I'm used to, I know how to respond to that, but this one was more like, I want to prove the people who believe in me right too, because I had so many supporters in my life who said, yeah, like, you should just try it. And, and if you fail, then whatever I fail and the doctors were right. <laughs> but if I actually go and I succeed, then I am still proving them wrong. And I've had proved them wrong this whole entire time. So why not go out there and try to prove them wrong again? And, continue to be called a miracle in their terms. Yeah, it's interesting. It's the whole thing about limiting beliefs, which is basically like they're they're telling you you can't do this, which is so peculiar to me that somebody in that position, I understand that they're like they're from a from a medical perspective, obviously they're kind of trying to but mentally they were telling you that you can't do this and if you were not the way you are, if you were different and there's other people out there that where they might take that and internalize it and go I can't I can't do this I can't and that will cause you to do that when you're when you're talking to yourself like that that's what's going to happen and I'd like you to talk a little bit about your support system because I know I guarantee that that is a major part of what made you I can I can I can you had people around you supporting you like that can you talk a little bit about the support system and how that helped you in that sense not have those kind of limiting beliefs around you and then what do you think people can do to find that support system if they may not have it? That's a big question, but... <laughs> it is. No, it's good. So I'll start with the support system aspect with my parents. Um, when I committed to York, they were both very, very leery of me being a lion and going to school that fall. There were other ones that said, maybe you should listen to what the doctors are saying. Maybe you should stay home. Maybe you should be a little bit safer. Like it was a 
super catastrophic injury and situation and tragedy that maybe it's best if you do stay home for this year. And then I was like, no, like you gotta let me go. I said, this is something I've worked for my entire life and I need to give it a shot. And I said to them, if I fail, then I fail. But if I don't fail, then I'm a success story that people can look up to. Yeah. You're winning either way. Yeah. And then they sat back and they're like, no, you're right. You're right. You should go. And then after that, this switch flipped and then they were all supportive and were really wanting me to do my best. And I think that was a really strong conversation where I like took a stand maybe for the first time really with what they were trying to say and uh, really just was like, no, I know I need to do this for myself. And so after that, they were major supporters and said, hey, like you can do this you can keep going. And I'm so grateful for that. But I also had lots of great friends too. I still have great friends and they were all saying, hey, like you got to do this. You got to do this. You're going to be amazing. Don't worry about it. So it's having that support that really helped me. And to be honest, I found it by finding people who have the same values in life that I do. And I think that others can look at people and see what they value in life. And if their values align with yours, then I feel like you're going to put yourself with good people. But I also try to find people who can better me too. So who's, who's like doing very, very well in life and succeeding and has the life that I like and let's talk to them and see how they got there or what is their mindset or what are they doing day in, day out that I'm not doing. And I've had that mind mentality with hockey, especially because I've always tried to look at the elite players in the NHL, my friends who are elite uh, a couple years older than me that I'm like, okay, if he's doing that right now, then I should start doing that. So then in two years, I'll be better than he was at that time. So it's just that mentality of trying to improve yourself and also to find people who have the same beliefs as you. Yeah. And, and obviously that's a hard thing. It can be a hard thing if you're not in that situation and you have to seek it out, but it's all about what you already said is, is that 1%, like maybe the 1% for today is sending a Instagram message to somebody you want to chat with. Right. And, and looking at it that way, a lot of this from what I'm hearing from you and, and how you're healing and moving forward. And regardless of the crash, you just choose to try to find the good, right? And 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 find the growth and and learning in any any situation, which I really think, like truly, it's so great to have you on here because I talk about this all the time. And I think it's so important to to have people just understand that this is that's the way to get through things. Now it's not to say I don't want to completely gloss over the fact that this is a traumatic experience and there was a lot of hard, hard stuff. How did you deal with the really, really challenging days? Because obviously gratitude, all that stuff, wonderful, very helpful, but it's not always like that, right? No. Um, and, and No, it's not. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about some of those maybe darker times and how you got through it or how people helped you through it, just to help somebody else maybe in that situation. Yeah. And so for me, my first time with the crash, I didn't believe it. And I went to depth just saying like, no, this can't be true. It can't be real. Grabbed my phone, looked, and I saw like humble, strong prayers for humble on social media. And I was like, oh, that's, that's crazy. Okay. And maybe, maybe it is. And I couldn't really wrap my head around it and I had to go to physio. So I had a really busy day that day. And then I came back and super busy after physio. So I didn't really look at my phone until the evening. And then I went and sent was gonna go send a message to my roommate and he was one of the ones that passed away i was like oh and that's when it really hit me and then i went and looked through everyone's 
social profiles on social media and grieved through that process and wondered why I was still here and how does this make sense? Lots of questions. I was like, well, if, if was it where I was sitting? Like, where were they sitting? Uh, how are they sitting? And it was just all those different questions I had. And it was hard. It was hard to sit with those. But I think at the time, I was just asking questions and not ever getting an answer. And I knew I never would get an answer either. And so if I kept on asking those questions, then I would never truly heal from it or truly move forward from it. And the hard part about life is there are stuff that can never be answered. Maybe people have their beliefs otherwise, but I truly think there's stuff that can't be answered in this world. And even like, let's go with the universe. There's stuff out there that we still have no idea whatsoever. And it just can't be answered until we find or develop or keep growing and learning and all that. So the mindset that I have is if there will never be answers, I got to keep growing and keep learning and to be the best version of myself. So during those hard times, it was difficult, but I was able to talk to my girlfriend at the time, talk to my friends, but I really didn't open up too much. It was more just like asking them questions and trying to find out everything I could about the crash and even talk to my parents too. And at the end of it, so once I got out of the hospital, for me, my healing process was giving back and helping others. So when I went, I know people say you have to have your cup full um, and all of that. And maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But when I was in ho the hospital, the one thing I wanted to do was go back to Humboldt because the community was so tightly knit and it was my home uh, for the year and I really wanted to help them heal. And so when I went back, that was super, super cathartic in my healing process to go back and put a smile on someone's face who has been crying all the whole month and just to put a smile on their face or just cheer them up just a little bit. And so that was my healing journey was to continue putting a smile on people's faces. I found that to be the best thing for me. So I had lots of diabetes at that time. Um, I go to schools and talk to the diabetes and for their class. And then I also went to Humboldt, I had events with Juno Diabetes Research Foundation. It was just putting a smile on people's faces that really helped me. But then another part about it was that I gave back to, I giving back in a sense where I gave back to people who really supported me and thanked them and wanted to say, thank you for your support. And then they didn't even support me more being like, Hey, like, what can we do to help? So it was like that give and take. And then lastly, I was really vulnerable and open. So I, I did talk to people once I got home, just about the whole situation, where my mind was at, what I thought about it. I wrote in my notes and my phone too. I found that very cathartic to just get onto something. And they ended up in the book, but uh, I didn't think I'd ever share them, but they were in my phone and I put them in the book. And it was just my perspective on life and where I thought the things that I could improve on and just uh, how I want to move forward from the situation. And then lastly, I got lost of sleep and I was really healthy too with myself. And I think that lots of people get into a negative path, but I've never been a big alcohol drinker. And so I was sworn off alcohol by the doctors. They said, don't ever drink alcohol with your brain injury. It's terrible for it, especially right now. So maybe later on after it's more healed, but right now it's terrible. So I had to have a strict regimen of at least 10 hours of sleep. I had to have a nap in the afternoon. I had to drink lots of water and get lots of greens in me. Going outside was therapy too for me and finding a spot to just sit with my thoughts. 
that was safe and that was a safe space was outside by the a broadway bridge actually and for all the saskatoon people um but there's a lot of different approaches but i think talking to people and being vulnerable and open about it was really really critical for my healing journey and something that everyone can use and apply in their life too because it is hard to open up and write in this book too like i couldn't I couldn't imagine saying that five years ago i'd write a book and it'd be about my feelings and my thoughts my perspectives on life like i would never ever think of that but it is and it's here and it's because i found the strength in being vulnerable and i think that people need to really dig deep and find that strength too and it is super powerful when you do end up opening yourself and the other person on the other end is receiving of it and wants to help you and wants to be there for you so seek out a counselor or a supportive person or someone in your life and who you trust and who you built a great relationship with. So I think those were some of the pillars that helped me in those tough situations. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and obviously it's hard to start to open up to people, but, but when you, you know, it's coming from someone who's definitely been through it and it is the, it is really the answer. Right. And, and, and doing a lot of those things. Now the hard part I'm assuming, so this is a little bit of an assumption based on you and, and what I've, what I've read about you, but, do you find it challenging trying to not be defined by this one thing that's happened in your life and letting that take over your personality? Like you said, if you're out in public and people come up and, you know, you're the, you're the survivor from the crash, right? You wrote the book, whatever, but you're also just Caleb, right? Do you find that challenging? And also, I guess a little bit on how are you trying to not be just defined by that? Yeah. So I think for me, that was definitely one of the things that I've had to learn to accept after the crash. I knew once it was that big and my after I was in the public, I went out to the mall one day and it was my first time ever going out in the public. And I, I couldn't even go into the mall. I had people just stopping me and stopping me and wanting to talk, stopping me and wanting to talk. And I was like, oh my goodness. And there was a lineup of about 11 people. I was like, holy lick, is this my new normal? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, is this, this was going to be like forever? And then I uh, ended up having to take on this media role that I really didn't want to take on, but was kind of told that I should take it on. So I ended up doing it to step up and be a leader that I was that year. And then that was when it really took off. And even on social media, right after the crash, there's tons and tons of people messaging me, following me, and all of that. So I knew. It was pretty big, but like you said, I don't want it to define me and I've accepted it. And I know that if I can, the way I look at it is if I can help others put a smile on their face by them meeting me or giving a hug or shaking my hand or getting a picture with me, then why wouldn't I? Like, why wouldn't I use this as a something positive to impact someone else's life positively compared to dwelling on it or trying to push it away. Why don't I just try spinning it to something positive? So then that was kind of when it kicked in for me about the book. I didn't really ever want to write a book, but one of the views I have on it is I'm trying to create something positive out of the situation. And I think there is some strength for sure in that and trying to spin stuff to be positive and, uh, stuff that I'm doing. I, yeah, like you said, I don't want this to define me and Part of it, I think, is the fact that I've been a student athlete at York University, still on the men's hockey team. I'm also able to give back through speeches, but also share my perspective more 
in those speeches. I'm really involved in the type 1 diabetic community. I have my own mentorship program and still a national ambassador at JDRF. I'm also going, hopefully, to chiropractic school this fall, so I won't be having the hockey player tag to me anymore. And then I think now that I've had this book out, I can set down my Bronco side a bit more because it's all said in the book, and I don't need to say it in interviews at anniversaries when I think of the 16 because I it's in the book. Yeah, it's there. It's there. So I think now I feel like I've done everything I can to honor the 16 in the public view, but internally and in behind the scenes, I still will do stuff every year to honor them. I'll still post every year to honor them and everyone involved, but it's more like I don't need to be so public about it because I, I'm done with kind of doing that and representing it. And it's, I don't want people to say, feel sorry for me either because that's the furthest thing from me. I want people just to treat me like a normal human being too. And I think one thing I've learned in this whole process is that all the famous people are just people. And I've met quite a few and they're truly just people. And I think that sometimes we put a starlight to them or kind of attribute them to being way higher than we are, but they're really truly just people. They're just extremely great at their sport or act or whatever they do, they're just extremely great at. And they're, but they're still just people at the end of the day. And I think once we accept that and learn that, it really does make a difference in our lives. And that was one of the big things for me is just people are people like everyone is just a person. Yeah. And I I hope people I've actually talked about this topic previously on the podcast with somebody. My girlfriend was on here and she was a uh, kind of a childhood pop star, basically, is the easiest way to put it. And and we've talked about about just that. And it seems to be a very common theme amongst people that are we'll say quote unquote famous, but you know, I don't know you what use whatever term you want people that we look up to or you recognize, right? Recognizable. And, and it seems to be a common plea for just treat me like a person. Cause I'm a person, right? So I just want, I'm talking to the listeners here where I hope that you can take away that if you do meet somebody, anybody or Caleb one day or whatever, like obviously it's okay to acknowledge what they're up to or what they've done, but you know, they're just a person. And I think approaching it from just that point and just like I want to get to know you as a person less like I'm using you for what you've done or or the status or whatever you know that kind of thing because and I think that can be applied to absolutely anything in life not just like celebrities or whatever but just being authentic I mean I think that's what it comes down to and and seeing that in other people you have talked about your diabetes yourself and your uh was it dog Dahlgren's diabetes right yeah, yeah yeah so you have you want to talk a little bit about that and and your uh because i know you're passionate about that and you've got the the platform so why don't you share a little bit about, about what you're up to with them yeah so i created a mentorship program while i was in humboldt i wanted to do it for quite some time but i wanted a bigger community so i ended up ending by starting at humboldt and the program is to support type 1 diabetic children I was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of four, and I felt really alone at the time. I didn't really have that person to look up to. People were like, oh, Bobby Clark. But yeah, he was in the NHL, but he wasn't during my era. And there wasn't YouTube when I was growing up. YouTube kind of came in a little later. And so I couldn't just look up a video about Bobby Clark or he was just some kind of god in a sense with the diabetic world. So I really did feel alone. I was an outcast at school. Like what diabetic wants to go into the, I guess, a bathroom and give themselves a needle? And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a little bit weird for that to happen. 
And when you do poke your finger, there's blood that comes out and you put it on test strip. And so it's a little bit different than what other students see. And for me, I wanted to be that support. I had lots of questions growing up. Like, what do you do when you're dating someone? How do you bring up they have type one diabetes? What, what do you do when you go camping? How do you handle that? What if you do like, what if you're in the wilderness, how do you handle your diabetes or with sports? What happens with your blood sugar during games and during practices? Is it the same? Is it different? What kind of activities make it go low? What kind of activities make it go high? Those questions I wasn't able to really get answers for because the doctors were able to help and they were amazing, but they weren't in our shoes per se as a type 1 diabetic children. And there were some doctors who were type 1 diabetics, so they were really, really helpful with that. But also there were some that weren't. And so asking those questions are difficult because they've never been through it. And so this program... I wanted to create to help show type 1 diabetic children that they can pursue their dreams and passions and that diabetes doesn't have to stop them. And also that if they have any questions or need their support, I can be there to help them. And so it's been an amazing program. Uh, what would happen in Humboldt was they'd get a pregame meal at Johnny's Bistro with their family. Uh, they'd come to the game, get a diet, wear a diabetes jersey, participate in a ceremonial face-off with me and the captain on another team. And then afterwards, they'd watch a game sit in the stands and then i'd go upstairs once the game was over and chat with them and their family about my diabetes and the life that some things in life that i had to do or some struggles and how to get through it and i'd induct them into our diabetes group chat on facebook and then at the very end i'd go and meet them at either school or at their hockey team or sports team and that would i guess share a story or a speech for them just to shine light and awareness on diabetes so that they felt beautiful for it and not like they were an outcast. And even with them doing a ceremonial face-off, the whole fans would rally and clear and chat, chat like a, I guess clap and all that for them. And that made them feel so beautiful and made them smile. And that was one of the big things was I wanted them to feel celebrated and not like a disadvantage because of their diabetes. And that was really great. And I think it applies to many other illnesses and diseases that are seen and aren't seen as well and that they need to be celebrating everyone is beautiful regardless of shape race color anything yeah everybody's beautiful yeah do you have any specifics obviously there's a lot to talk about for anybody listening that may be diabetic any any kind of i don't know suggestions like encouragement just because you've been you've been through it and you're talking about it regularly um anything you want to want to share with people yeah they're not alone for sure and i know i felt that at the start and that you aren't alone. And there are tons of diabetic communities now. There's a lot more awareness than there was when I was a child too, which I think is really special. And you're not, like if people say you can't pursue this, you can't do that, you can. You can pursue your dreams and passions. And I know that we get told that sometimes as a diabetic, especially that you can't do this, you can't do that. You can. You just have to make sure you manage your diabetes and not let it manage you. And I think that's the golden rule is to make sure it doesn't take control of your life and that you control it. Yeah, the whole, it seems to be a recurring theme here with, with the, the can versus the can't. And, and I really, really do think that can be applied to anything. Obviously, we're talking about diabetes here. We were talking about, you know, kind of uh, grieving, moving past trauma and things like that. But in, but in any aspect of life, anything you would say to somebody who, who maybe is really stuck in the can't? You know, and it's easy to get there. I'm sure you've been there. I've been there where it's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. You kind of get in that negative self-doubt kind of framework. How have you, I guess, in the past or what would you recommend? Like you try to get out of that and, and get towards the, I can, I can, I can. 
I think ask yourself, what if you can do it? What if? Yeah. And I think that's a really, yeah. What if you can do it? What would happen? And I think that's such a powerful question. Like, what if I could do this? What would, what would be better? And then that or it switches your mindset to, okay, so then I guess this would happen. This would happen. This could happen. I'd be able to, so say, for example, I'm terrible at statistics. <laughs> just, I'm not that bad. I'm not, but just for example, lots of people will say they suck at statistics. But what if you were good at it? What would happen? Well, I'd do well on tests. I'd enjoy studying. I would probably score well in the course. I'd actually enjoy learning the material. I'd be a good student. So why can't you do that? And then that's where you sit with yourself and you question yourself like, well, who says I like I could probably study more or I could probably do this more. Yeah. Try to enjoy, enjoy the material, right. Or enjoy studying. Yeah. Or even the other part of it too, is that life is hard and it's a grind and to actually enjoy that grind. And that could literally be in school, sports, academics, uh, work in relationships. There's going to be a grind in every and anything we do, but to actually enjoy it and to make the most of it every day. And so for me, that's one of the big things was when I was in hospital, I got a shirt from Jose Kopitar that said, enjoy the grind on the back. That was a model that just stuck with me because my whole life up to this point was a grind and I was enjoying it. And so that was one of the big things moving forward was that I wanted to enjoy the grind in every aspect of life too. And to find that positive in that grind. Yeah. And, and enjoying the grind doesn't mean everything's going to be good all the time. <laughs> no, it's not. And the grind is like, you could have a really bad day and it could be a big grind, but you know, and you have belief that the next day might be a little bit better of a grind. Right. Yeah. And you're enjoying the, um, well, it comes back to, we talking about mindfulness and stuff. It's just being in the moment, being present with it and saying, this is okay. I might not be ideally what I want, but this is part of the journey. Yeah. It's part of the process of life. And I know that it's hard to just say, for example, oh, I don't want to go on this deep topic, but one of these things that people said was it wasn't your time to go. And a lot of people said that to me, but really, was it anyone's time to go? Like, was that really the idea behind it? And it's more about just enjoying the life journey and being present in every moment. To, so if I do end up going tomorrow and it is my time to go, as people would say, that I enjoyed every moment of life and that I was able to make the most of it, to leave a positive impact on as many people as I could. And that was kind of my why. And so I think it's just having that faith that tomorrow will be a better day. And like I said, finding that 1% to get better and to enjoy that grind. So there's a multitude of things that I've tried to attribute into my life. For sure. Yeah, it's it's tomorrow will be a better day, but also today's great, despite what's going exactly. on. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, I really, I, I, I connected with that because I, I read that the whole in, enjoy the grind. And that's quite, like it's, it's quite a powerful phrase if you really think about it. You, just, you substitute grind for anything else, but just like enjoy the hard work because no matter what you're in, what, what you're doing or any aspect of life, we talked about heartbreak, like anything, there's going to be things that suck and it's going to be a grind. And if you don't enjoy it, you're going to, you know, you're going to come to a point where you're maybe at the end of your life and you should have enjoyed it because you can't control it. It's all about that acceptance you're talking about, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much. 
for all of this. I uh, before we go, I want to um, get you to just talk quickly about your book, just to uh, send people wherever they can go to find you on Instagram and and get the book if they want to, and then a little bit about your your diabetes. I don't know where where people can find you there, but uh, just let, let us know where we can find you on the internet, Caleb. All right. Well, you can find me at www.calebdalgren.com. You can get the book there. You can find my all my socials in there. And then if you want to go social media route, it's just at Caleb Dahlgren for everything. Pretty mainstream, not too crazy <laughs> handle. It's uh, Caleb with a K though, um, and Dahlgren, D-H-L-G-R-E-N. But it's it's not too crazy. And with the diabetes, my the bio, it'll be in my bio, just the link or the the page for it in both my Twitter and Instagram on Facebook. It's not on there. It's connected to something else. I have my own private group chat on Facebook. So that's just not for everybody, but yeah, the other two are. And so that's where they can find me. And to get a book, you can go to any retailer, book retailer, anywhere that books are sold, you can get it there. Walmart, Costco too, Indigo, Chapters, McNally, Robinson, yeah, Kohl's, honestly, anywhere you can get a book. And then online, there's also the ability to order it online too, on Amazon, any big sites, HarperCollins. And I guess through my social media pages too, there'll be a link. Yeah, you'll be able to find it. If you're looking for it, you'll be able to find it. I'll put all the links. If you find me, you'll find there it. There you go. <laughs> uh, before I let you go, uh, anything you want to leave listeners with after all this, um, one last kind of hurrah piece of advice or something yeah yeah i just say this is one book out of 29 from that day and i really want it to be known that this isn't the broncos book it's just a broncos book and that this is just one story out of the 29 from that day and out of the many other stories from that day too the first responders the doctors many others who were involved families that weren't there but had their child's involved children involved so i think it was just one out of the 29 from that day and i hope that they uh, the readers at least take away something from it too. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, thanks for being on here, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Nice chat with you. I like these deep combos. So thank you. Hey everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, it truly was meaningful for me and, and just so grateful to have Caleb on the show. Thanks again for listening and thanks to Caleb for, for chatting with me. You make sure you grab his book, right? Crossroads. You can find it anywhere you get a book. Uh, you can check him out on his website. We talked about calebdahlgren.com. It's Caleb with a K and then D-A-H-L-G-R-E-N. And uh, you can grab everything you need to know about him. is going to be there. Make sure to pick up the book though, all right? And I hope that you have a phenomenal rest of the day. Keep loving life, everybody. And we'll chat with you later. For more information about this episode or the show itself, head on over to HarrisonKingOfficial.com. There you'll be able to find the show notes, transcriptions, and videos for every episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk About Life Pod. Now get out there and have a deep, meaningful conversation in your own life. We'll chat with you next time.